0: We had a cargo net protecting six trees. All the trees were cut except that one tree, Luna, where Julia Butterfly ended up staying in for two years.
1: This is The Butterfly Effect, a podcast that shows the big impact a small action can do. Tali Urat is talking to those special people that make a difference with nature and trees. Welcome everyone to the Butterfly Effect. My name is Tali Orad. I'm your host and your butterfly here. My special guest today is Stephanie Strager. Stephanie is a medicine woman, guide, business architect and purpose catalyst, holding space in sacred containers for intellectual, analytical soul seekers, ready to come home to who they really are, to do the work they're really here to do. She's a licensed attorney. Her early work in grassroots organization, corporate responsibility and sustainability was followed by a career in complex corporate legislation at Davis Polk. Among her expertise, Stephanie is a certified business and executive coach, energy medicine practitioner, sustainability and leadership consultant, and much, much, much more. She has been immersed in the impact investing space, helping Catalyst deploy their capital in alignment with their values. She is a board member at Dream Change, creator and host of Catalyst Talk podcast, and has developed several transformational modalities and programs, including the inner work of impact coaching and facilitation for individuals and organizations. Welcome, Stephanie, to the Butterfly Effect.
0: Hello, Tali. It's great to be with you today.
1: This is so exciting. I would love actually for us to start by just hearing your story. You studied law, worked in sustainability, now you're a professional coach. Do you mind sharing more about that?
0: Wow, that's a lot of decades. (laughs) Um, I would start off by saying that my journey has just always been to kind of hold the line outside the system. <laughs> you know, we're, there. there's so many of us working towards systems change. And that also is really defined by our worldview, you know, like how we change a system inside the system, or whether we are fully like sovereign beings and reclaim our wild selves and our paths outside of, say, the program, you know, and the program being go to, go to college, go to graduate school, do the job, but have the things and all of that, right? And so my path has been very windy. And um I feel like I've reached a point where I'm finally at this integration stage. It took a long time to be like, how do I pull all parts of myself into the mission, higher purpose right here,
1: right now? Stephanie, you're now an evolutionary coach. What exactly does it mean? I'll just kind of give a linear context. I back
0: 30 years ago uh, after graduating college that ages me, but after graduating college, I moved out to California from New York and I grew up near the city and just in a completely different environment that I found than I found out west in California, and that's when I fell in love with ancient redwood trees. And it, they they basically called me. That's a sort of a left turn and a long story, though. My journey as a forest activist led me into law, and that journey led me to come back from California to New York and go to law school here and be with. My, I just wanted to be near my family, and then all kinds of windy stories, but doing human rights work. And the 9-11 happened and, you know, it was all about human rights and immigration. And that was like right front and center. And so I find myself okay. in places as an activist, like what's right front and center, you know, first it was environment. Oh my gosh, ancient forests. You cannot do that. You cannot cut. Obviously that's not an in integrity to our okay. codes as human beings on earth. And then from the law, I just I felt like my soul was being sucked um where I ended up in corporate litigation. And I mean, that was just an interesting journey where I didn't know why I was there until I look back now. though uh, to the per- the question you asked around coaching, from there, about eighteen years ago, I started like my first certification and as a wellness coach. And that really was a springboard to, wow, you can just create any kind of business and be anyone and anything and bring all your gifts to the table in this container as a coach, working with individuals, working with groups. And so it started off as well in wellness. And I was super hardcore athlete, martial artist at the time. So it was Super integrity around food and right. helping people clean their diets up and come into like right relationship with food and their bodies and their spirits and their souls. And then that one, that, that was the beginning. And it was been about an 18 year journey of adding and my own healing and my own transformational journey and my own spiritual journey that has helped me weave in all of the parts, you know. And so, re- evolutionary coaching is for me, it's a journey of higher purpose, soul mastery, peak wellness, and deeper impact in business leadership and life. And so it's a full, full-on <laughs> evolutionary <laughs> journey.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds incredible. And it, it seems like you you said how you can like break the system, how you do not fit in the boxes. Yet, from whatever you told me, all these stories, is you actually went and experienced all the boxes. And after mm-hmm. experiencing them, you decided... To break free, right? Do you feel like others needs to experience and then break free, or is there a way for us to come kind of like fast forward? And
0: I think the new generation, I think children being born today, are creating their their they're creating the new boxes, right? They're and what we get to do is um, catalyze the environment for the next generation because most of us have already been you know, well, most, I shouldn't assume that, like many people have already been in the system, if not, and when I say in the system, I mean um, in in a job, say, in a large entity or even a small entity. You know, I've worked for nonprofits that run just like a big business and have similar sort of extractive, you know, expectations. So everyone has their own path. You know that, right? Everyone has their own path. For me, it's been a journey of claiming my sovereignty for myself not from other but for myself and saying yes to myself no matter what you know and and it's for all of us this evolutionary journey is so unique and individual you know i look at it from your past lives i look at it from from every single aspect of the human form on this planet and what do we is what do I need to learn? Like what I just experienced the concussion from a snowboarding accident, and what was my medicine there? Why? What? What was the learning? The takeaway from that? And so, going into corporate litigation was a a interesting journey from being a, you know an earth firster with probably with an FBI file doing serious activism in in the redwoods we were we were really protecting these forests at all no matter what obviously nonviolence but it was no matter what and one of my friends was actually killed by a logger it got really violent and that's what b- brought me into law so going from that scenario to coming to new york doing human rights work in brazil for a year and being completely burned out as an activist i came to my need for financial resources, my need to fit in. Like, okay, I really didn't fit in at that point. My parents didn't know what they thought I was in a cult, you know, the cult of activism. Um, but so I took that turn and went in and, and it was such a crazy journey for almost seven years. And I ended up having a really severe concussion. And at this this is almost 12 years ago. And it, it changed my life for years. I had this post-concussion sim, uh, situation. And I'm telling you that because that to answer your question, it was, whoa, what was my learning there? What was the medicine, the the lesson? Why did I have to go back in? Well, I know now, you know, I, I have a little more credibility in the environments that I am choosing to catalyze change within. And I can relate to people who are, as as a transformational guide, I really can relate to people's journeys where their identity, it's all about our identity, right? How we see ourselves, our self-image. And it's really being able to not only identify with other people who are shedding their old identities, to really guide them on the path to higher purpose, to really transcend the, the systems and structures that keep us stuck in these old identities.
1: So who do you feel like is a typical client of yours? It's just humans.
0: <laughs> humans are who are really called who are really called and committed to their own ascension, their growth, their um, you know, their transformation. and and so I, a lot of my clients happen to be impact investors or impact creators, leaders, um entrepreneurs, those who are really committed to transforming our world and creating positive impact. And so in order to be that, Change agent in the system, there's that reclamation of wild self. You know, there's that piece that we really need to shed, shed all of the old roles and identities before we can emerge in that deeper, what I say, deeper impact in business leadership and life. It's the more inner work we do. And so the clients I attract are folks who are totally called to the inner work, who are claiming, like sensing of uh, what's my purpose, what's my direction, or knowing it, but feeling lost and just not clear or not confident. And it's this journey of saying yes to yourself, you know, and it's this journey of letting go of the scarcity of, I don't know my purpose. Well, it's okay. Like, like why that's all a framework and a structure of the matrix system anyway, is to make, create another thing that has a scarcity attached to it versus like today is my purpose, you know? So yeah, it's, it's folks who are really committed to the path full on.
1: So this is the butterfly effect and mm-hmm. the impact of one small action, right? Can change the things in your path and others and it is also a story about trees at least for me like as a tree woman Mm -hmm. for for you I feel like the butterfly was the redwood so tell me more about this how did you even end up sitting there watching those trees Mm
0: -hmm. making
1: sure they're safe and right starting your transformation
0: Mm -hmm. yeah when I was in college so I grew up in a very, um, just conservative suburb of New York city. And like, it was a city girl pretty much growing up. But when I was in college, I was called to solitude. I was called to the, to study Emerson and Thoreau and go to the forest. I was in, in school in Boston. And, and so when I graduated, I got in my car and drove out West. And when I was on that, my way out, to meet a friend with in Berkeley, California, I was driving from the north down. So I was up in Seattle and then driving south along the coast. Mm-hmm. As I was driving, um, I, I stopped in this... I mean, the, the forests were like, holy moly, I had never seen anything in my life. Like, even the big sky in Montana was like, whoa! And so everything yeah. from that moment was just like, whoa! And I saw ancient redwoods as I started driving through Northern California. And it was just awestruck. And I pull into a lot and I was like, okay, I'm going to go into one of these. I'm, I got to go on a hike in here. And I go for this hike and I'm I'm stopped in this grove and redwoods grow in families. And they are, to me, the most friendly community of trees I've ever experienced. And they grow in families, literally. So I was like sitting in a family and I heard them talk to me. I heard, we need your help. Now, I have no idea in my... I'd never even seen a logging truck in my entire life, except for I started to see them on my way out there, but I didn't, you know, they were just like 100 trees on one logging truck, small trees. So I'm like, okay, what does this mean? Well, I got in my car to leave, to, to head out, and I saw one logging truck drive by, and it had one giant chunk, like the whole tree couldn't even fit on this. It was one tree, and it was a chunk of the tree, taking up the whole truck and it was like these are this is the family i was just talking to what and i and i followed the truck along the highway along the roads there in this in the ancient redwoods up in in northern california humboldt county and and north you have what we call tree museums so along the road you're like wow oh my god all these ancients you go behind the roads a little bit so i followed this logging truck and I couldn't believe what I saw. I'd never seen anything like it. It was just bald, bleeding hillside, like mountains. And th- that was the first time I knew what a clear cut was without even knowing the word clear cut. Then I ended up in Berkeley for about a year and I was working for an organization called Forest Forever, where we were going door to door um raising money for lobbying efforts to protect headwaters like a, a, one of the last remaining ancient sands of ancient red uh, stands of ancient redwoods on private property and that was the beginning of a journey
1: so that led you to law and towards doing something to protect them
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's such an interesting story. It's not like oh, the the trees were being killed. There's always like a, a story behind it. And this particular place, which is probably very similar to other places, is is this you know this used to be a family run lumber town, and it was a hostile takeover in the '80s by a Texas like international company and junk bonds and all the things. It was like just this huge kind of political conversation. And the story goes that this company that was liquidate was actually liquidating all of their assets the ancient redwood trees our work was to have the state or raise the money to buy these last stands of protected ancient redwoods unprotected Redwoods, to buy them from this company. And that was the mission for, for lobbying. And then and then there was this point where we would hear that they were going in and they were going to log this place called Headwaters Forest. And there was a big protest up in, I don't know what year, this nineteen ninety six seven I think. And there was a big protest. So I went up to Humboldt to this area. It was about five hours, six hours from San Francisco Bay Area. And I... Was like, I'm not leaving here. You know, we got there was a big arrest situation. A lot of people got arrested because we were blockading the roads. And from that point, it became this journey of nonviolent activism, taking nonviolent action courses. And we had base camp where we were basically camping out for months at a time and going in and finding ancient trees that were tagged to be cut. And one of them, which many people have heard of is Luna, which uh, Julia Butterfly, butterfly effect. She ended up staying in for two years to protect that tree. Well, my, I was with with my friend Daniel, he found that tree and we all went up that night and we had affinity groups. We named ourselves the Lunatics, and we just declared we're protecting this tree. And it was this ancient, the whole place was all these giant trees. And so we built platforms in these trees. We had like a cargo net connected to six trees, so one person can sit in the cargo net and protect six trees. It was a beautiful and very unique experience and deeply profound to live up in a three you know live at, in, in a sleeping on a door with some climbing gear, three hundred feet up in a tree and hear the trees talk. And to be up there while they were logging down below, like a timber harvest plan, say down below on the mountain, to be up there in the trees and hear them cry. And there was this whole communication. We talk about, you know, people are posting links on LinkedIn all the time with, oh my gosh, trees talk. It's like, yes, I've been saying this for a long time. They literally cried sap. there's this whole thing that happens when their brethren are being demolished and they know it's coming for them. And so we just, it it was a a really beautiful time. And a friend of mine was, uh, who was the first person I actually Tree sat with, he was killed by a logger. And so that's how I got into law. In California, you could still at that time become a lawyer without going to law school. You do an apprenticeship. It's four years. And you have an like an attorney who's your apprentice who you apprentice with. And we started a law school and it was a law firm called Pacific Law. And we had three attorneys who were mentoring six mentees. And we applied with the state bar, and it's all legit. And we were doing this while we were suing that company on on many fronts, including the wrongful death of my friend, David Chain.
1: But it got you to be burned out, even though you you felt, I'm sure you felt fulfilled and accomplished by knowing that you saved those trees. And yet you were burnt out and you ended up going another direction. Is there any... Any tips you want to give to anybody that wants to be an activist? To want to,
0: yeah. Throughout the journey, it's it's exhausting. You're, you know, that lo- that type of activism. We were. There was many times that we almost worked. I was chased by a logger once with a chainsaw. He almost cut my foot off. Um, there was, yeah. there was. It was kind of crazy. But we were, we were there. We wanted to like just wake them up, you know, like connect yeah. them. The truth was, it was way beyond the loggers. It was the dynamics that were at a systemic level of pitting loggers against environmentalists and paying loggers to cut, you know, for the amount of trees they cut versus a, a fair wage. It was um, just a really toxic system. And I, that was the beginning of the journey, you know, for me, that that level, that kind of type of frontline activism. And then from there, we were always in solidarity with whatever Native people or lived in that territory where we were. So we were working in a place where the Yurok tribe held meetings and we would connect with them and pray for the forest. And, you know, so I had this whole deep immersion in my, you know, when I was 20 years old around like my spiritual path. Right. So this isn't just like activism. There's a lot of activists who are out there creating negative negativity and like, you know, drinking toxic Coca-Cola or whatever it is. Right. Like, and like still fighting for some good. And it's, so to me right now, activism is, uh, so many there's so many types of activism right so advice is like you know it's i didn't even there wasn't a question should i do this or not it was i was i was just guided on this journey and we were you know we were kind of called we would go up to oregon where there was another timber harvest plan and we would work with the activists up there. We would go to, um, one time we were brought to this place called War. When I say brought to, I mean, answered the call, you know, there was a call for solidarity on the Nav- Navajo nations, that their land in Ward Valley, where, where the government was going to bury splint, spent plutonium rods under unsacred land. So got to be out there with them for months at a time, living in the desert in a tent. And, you know, so it was, it was this really interesting journey of, of, the i'd say i was in my early 20s i had the time and the resources to and the creativity to to live that way you know right. Now, right. now it's different so advice is like who is it where are you in life what are what what are you called to do and that's really the question right right
1: so it's been 20 years do you think that the situation has changed
0: well, yeah. Well, I mean, I came onto that scene. There was already 10 or 15 years of of like hardcore activism to protect those trees years before I got there. And it was, it st- it was started by people who were lo- like locals in the logging town. And so yeah. it was affecting the salmon trade. It was affecting all of the local t- uh, timber towns. So this movement had started way before I was there. And I was lucky to say lucky. I my journey had me land in places where there were really powerful leaders who demonstrated what it looked like. That's where I got my courage to even step into that. It wasn't I wasn't up there with the blow horn on the stage. You know, I was in the audience, and I was always like, "Huh." So for me, that was always a learning of of like, is you know. where's my fear in being a leader in this, in this movement or any other movement. So that was, that was my journey in that way to answer your question about the forests, that the specific place that was around 7,500, I'm going to get that number wrong, but around 7,500 acres of unprotected ancient redwoods that we were working specifically to protect um, among all of the other like forestry um, policies in California and, and federally. But in this area, that, place was eventually purchased by the state. So it was protected. It is protected. It's a, it's now a state, I don't know if it's a monument or what, but it is. And you can go to Headwaters Forest. And so it is an epic win. And there was a lot of loss. The place I told you about where I stayed in that tree, we, we had a cargo net protecting six trees. All the trees were cut except that one tree, Luna, where Je- Julia Butterfly ended up staying in for two years. She protected that one tree, the rest of the entire forest was clear cut. So, I had friends who were in a tree that I also helped build this platform for. We had all these names. This place was Ewok Village <laughs> and they were in this one tree and one of the climbers, Climber Dan, he climbed into the tree and like extracted them from the tree and, and the, that place was all logged. So, you know, we lost a lot and we saved some. And I'll tell you that we talk about climate change now. This was in the 1990s. I felt climate change in the 1990s when it was literally, the place was hotter, you know? And and every time I would go back, after I moved back to New York, I would go back and visit a lot. And it was just all that clear-cutting. The temperatures rose so much.
1: You got to experience it firsthand, unfortunately. And now yeah. we all do. So you mentioned uh, Humboldt, and I know that's a, a place in California where the indigenous community live, and there's also a university there, and I know you are spending time immersing with various indigenous groups, and I would love if you can share some of your, I, I, I want to say lesson learned, but I'm assuming it's it's still a journey, but mm. some of the experience you have shared with them.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's been a dance. It's been a really interesting dance. Um, as a, when I went into law, um, I keep, I I go on these long journeys till I answer your question though. For context, I went into law and while I, I I was very passionate about environmental justice and that being really working towards, that was when I went to Brazil. I was doing this work after law school, um, working for environmental justice. And this is a, you know it's an area where you're working for those who are disproportionately impacted by the detrimental effects of environmental degradation and so you're working to protect the the forest the place nature and you're also working on that inequity around the people who are disproportionately impacted and that happens here in the states it happens in poverty you know in poverty stricken communities where the okay. the big you know the, the factories go and spew toxic chemicals in the water and the air. And it happens in frontline communities that live in beautiful places in nature that we call resources. And the lessons that I've learned started, I would just say, I'm going to, I'll just drop this in. And this is kind of the, the bottom line where I'm going is around learning to claim our, like claim, to claim my own place, say, as a sacred human, as a earth person, as an earth keeper, someone who is seeking, I grew up in Jewish family, and I, I resonate with, I am an earth person. The earth-based traditions are what I consider my spiritual path. And so it's been this journey of learning from that environmental justice perspective, the or say the justice perspective, but also as a student and as a uh, some an activist in solidarity, like having all these roles, right? And then as a basically a spiritual disciple, and and just learning to walk with that one. The one word I'll throw in here is around appropriation. So there's been this journey now i've been on this journey for 30 years and my first my first invitation to sit in ser- sacred ceremony with the yurok tribe was in a tp in a prayer meeting for the forest it wasn't for my personal development or anything like that it was i didn't even know what i was i was just invited to this place and i went and had a very interesting beautiful journey with uh, their plant medicine and it was a deep prayer and I'll never forget that for the rest of my life, it marked me. And and then I went on this journey wherever I would go. I was also, I did I did a lot of work in Ecuador and Brazil and in Peru in the Amazon um, and worked with different tribes there. And the Watrani, the Quechua, the Shu'ar, I was actually, remember I mentioned before I had had a head injury, and I, and in 2012, 2010, 2010, when I was in this corporate law firm and I just knew I was out of alignment with myself and I experienced a concussion and I ended up in a journey to the Amazon with my herbal teacher, cause I was a student of herbalism and we were in a place that was does not even planned to go there. Um, and we were visiting with the Ashuar an Ashuar community in Ecuador and, and i experienced healing in that place and that place was so pristine that it, it was like sparkling like elemental beings in the air it was like it was just so pristine and and gorgeous and it was about 4 hours up a river on a boat and the place when we arrived there and don juan who was the medicine man he said that he had sick people in his village so he couldn't teach us anything. We we were invited to sit with the ceremony and witness him healing people in his village all night. And in that ceremony, he saw me and he came over to me and I, he didn't know anything about my head or anything about me. And he facilitated a healing that was so profound that it, the head was completely healed. My concussion, every symptom was completely gone. And that next morning they told us, they were crying, they were sitting around and crying and we were leaving and told us that Ecuador had sold their land to a Canadian mining company. And now this place was sitting on top of one of the largest copper reserves in the Equatorial belt it was devastating and they're devastated they were they were, had been, since been forcibly removed and it places a copper mine now and it's devastating because this is part of that journey of like uh, what can like like you asked before what can people do what would be your advice and i i don't know that i'm even the person to to give the advice i i've done my bits of activism here bits of it there And I I think to this point, I'm like, I could have done more. I could have done more. And then that's just the enough program running. And I, you know, delete that file and say, what can I do now? Where am I now? And why? What was the lesson? What was the learning? And, And I mean, that's what we're all here for. I think that the more energy we put into shame or blame or guilt within ourselves or others, even the people who are extracting, the more we're contributing to that
1: negative frequency on the planet. You've been to Ecuador, Peru brazil and obviously in california do you find something that is in common between all oh yeah different yeah
0: yeah oh yeah i mean it's like i I was saying uh, earth-based traditions um people native people native lineages who are still carrying that wisdom tradition and and i love that question Tali, because i mentioned the word appropriation and there was a time i've been writing a book for seven years and I'm just starting to pick it up again. I had stopped because I bumped into this moment where I was in Ecuador doing research in this area called Yasuni National Reserve that had just been opened up to oil. And there were the Warani tribe and the Kichwa tribe in that area. And I was sort of studying the impact of this kind of newly exploited area and the impact on the indigenous locals there, the native people to that place. Yeah, it's it was fascinating to me just from a sociological, like from a from a human trans, like a I don't know a transformational perspective. Though the the one thing is that they are they're they they like live in a completely different paradigm. And I'm not saying they to objectify or romanticize. It's folk, people who are connected to a lineage that is in communion with nature that liter- lives in that close communion with nature across the board the trees are their relatives the the animals are their relatives the earth speaks if you listen the capacity we have as humans and our senses are so much more activated when we are like connected to nature to the elementals to the directions to the there's so many similarities i can't say i've studied all you know, I've well, just a handful, just a, a small handful of people that I've encountered that have shown me whether they're like still really, really off grid or whether they're, you know, unfortunately on a reservation in this country. The The politics are, uh, I'd say that like unanimously, it's resource extraction that changes them that and that sort of colonizing mentality that... That is an interesting dance, because even as a white woman from New York going to places to be in such humility and even though, like here's that word appropriation, I experienced when I was writing this book and I was kind of interviewing people, um, there was this in u n event there was a I think it was the General Assembly in U at the UN and so there was a lot of different indigenous representatives in in New York. And I was at an event, I think it was like an Amazon watch event. And I was talking to a woman from Peru and um she I forgot I'm forgetting the indigenous group she's from but I had asked her if I can talk to her, interview her for my book. And she said something into me which at the time I was manifesting a lot of, I was experiencing a lot of this, like you're a white person appropriating indigenous knowledge or indigenous wisdom. And Mm -hmm. she was like, why? So you could make money on your book or be the speaker or whatever, whatever it was. And so I had to take that and hold it and, learn from it, and at first, you know, that brought up shame and guilt and all of that, and then I was like, no, and so I struggled with that for years. That was like, I don't know, six six years ago. I I struggled with that for years, and I actually put the book down, not just because of that, but it was a bunch of that energy in, in in the environmental justice work as well. It's this, it's kind of this very dualistic, like this polarity of don't appropriate, let us have the front and then also like shame and guilt and how do we navigate privilege and also stand in our own sovereign like power and not relinquish our power you know while also it, holding space for all voices and so i've i've had to come to this place of my own i could say reconciliation to feel in complete harmony with my walk as a spiritual earth person as a medicine woman in the sense of my journey and just claiming my passion like that like as an earth keeper somebody who's here we're all we're all here together if we can all just be together but also honor and acknowledge from where the wisdom has been held and the journey those people have had to go on to hold it and so that we get to remember it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So you are you back on writing the book? Or is it gonna be I
0: am and I love the, I mean I'm not sure if I want to share the title just yet, but it has the word tree in it. And it's fascinating, Polly, <laughs> because the book the book is so fast like it, you know, I go to all these places and ancient trees and the trees out there and the issues out there. Well, you might be experiencing this too, because we're not we don't live too far from each other, but in the past few weeks i've learned of something called the beech leaf disease and i on this land that i steward where i live where my house is it's a beech tree forest there's beech and oak and ash and will the last however many years this whole area new york new jersey we've been experiencing this ash disease like a, a beetle that's killing like 75% of New Jersey's forests, which are ash trees, these giant, massive old growth trees. So I live in a neighborhood of big old hundred year old trees of all different species. And so those ashes are kind of a gone, they're gone. And I'm like, okay, but what happened just recently is the beech trees. It's a new disease on the leaf of beech trees that I've just learned about because giant, like, a hundred and something year old tree next to my house is dying in front of me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So this was just in the last like two weeks that I realized this. And I've been going on this mission to see where this is all affecting. And so here, right here, like that question of where can we get involved? It's everywhere. The issue is absolutely everywhere right now. So what am I doing? Because I have been just a neighbor in the in the neighborhood but I'm forming a committee that is a forest committee and I'm not saying everyone should do this but I I'm like we can't I can't be writing this book working on this which is around it's not only around trees but it's around our future human potential and what we can learn from the ancient forests the ancient trees the old ones and I'm learning that right now I'm I'm I didn't realize that this is what was happening but this last week like oh my god this is what's happening now for me stay here and listen <laughs> stay yep. here and listen so yeah that's that's step one is listen okay
1: so um i'm gonna listen and i'm gonna wait pa- patiently until the book is out and we'll talk again and then you'll share it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so so you talked about the redwood. you talk about the ash you talk about the beech tree what is your favorite tree
0: my favorite tree. Oh, I knew you'd might ask that, but this one's hard. I have to say, the redwood tree is. It's not really a favorite tree. Just like I don't have a favorite dog, but it's um, it's it's a special tree that, like you said, was the butterfly effect for me.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for inspiring us basically with your journey.
0: Thank you. So grateful that I get to share this with you and here. So thank you for having me.
1: And thank you everyone for joining me today. We are all beautiful butterflies, each in his and her individual ways. I wanted to thank you for joining me today in this episode. I really appreciate you coming on this journey with me and I hope you can join me next time. And remember, it only takes a small action to make a big difference. Be a butterfly. And that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to hear more of our stories of change.